everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. That's right. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. Welcome to the new year. I am your host, Ryan Dunlevy, and join... Almost. <laughs> <laughs> and join once again by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Hey, everybody. We did not abandon you. Uh, we were just gone for a week. Yes, we took the <laughs> Christmas week off, but we are back as... Uh, I did have someone ask me, why why no podcast this week? So I did let them know that we did not quit. We just, uh, we took the week off. Yeah. Christmas. It was kind of funny because <laughs> neither one of us really discussed it. We just didn't do a podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we are back once again. And we've got a, we've got a loaded show. Um we're going to talk about Roger Deakins. We're going to talk about a couple movie releases. But the majority of our time will, of course, be centered around Wonder Woman 84 and its release. So, Rob, are you ready to get started? Oh, I'm as ready as I could be. Just that lasso of truth around me and let's get talking about some movies. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So there's a story that came out uh, recently that we just felt like we had to talk about because um, this guy is an unheralded genius of movies that most people have no clue who he is. Uh, and that is Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins has just been knighted after his second Oscar win. Roger Deakins is a cinematographer and he is the best cinematographer in Hollywood right now. I think bar none. He is incredible. And um, this is a well-deserved honor. Now, Deakins has been the cinematographer on so many different films. Um, the main, some of the main ones, um, he's worked closely with the Coen brothers and with Sam Mendes. So uh, he's got Shawshank Redemption, Fargo, 1917, A Beautiful Mind, Skyfall, Blade Runner 2049, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I mean, you could go on and on and on. But the work this guy has done and some of the, the work of laying out shots and working out how you're going to shoot something, um, just incredible stuff. And so he has rightfully been given his knighthood. Yeah, the guy's just uh, an absolute monster when it comes to uh, showcasing the writing and acting in a movie with the way he shoots it. And 1917 being the most recent, obviously, was just, in my opinion, an uh, incredible feat to be able to film a movie in such a way that it felt like you were basically on the shoulder of whoever was carrying the action the entire movie felt like you were in the movie. And it's the thing is that it looks so simple and natural, but the amount of effort that went into making it look that way is, is stellar. It's almost confounding to think about if you watch some of the featurettes or uh, special features about how it was done, uh, the amount of effort, detail, and just skill that went into it. Is phenomenal. And obviously, you mentioned a couple other ones like Shawshank Redemption. I think when a lot of people think of Shawshank Redemption, they think of Morgan Freeman, Tim Robbins, 
uh, Steven Spielberg, and that's about where it stops. And I think that one of the best things about diving deeper into movies, like starting to study them, starting to pay more attention to some of these details is you start to recognize people like Roger Deakins, the people who are uh, setting the framing, getting all the shots the way they want them to be and telling the story because the story is just as much the picture as it is the writing. And you see that in Shawshank. Uh, I think it's probably the main reason why the prison itself feels like a character is because of how it was shot. Um, and then we also talk about Skyfall, which we've talked about before. Just some of the scenes in that movie that are just haunting and like you don't even need dialogue. It's just so beautiful the way it's shot that it conveys everything it needs to just with the frame. Yeah. So definitely worthy of the recognition he's receiving with this. Yeah. For me, like his, his recent works have just been on another level. And I think specifically of, as you talked about, about Skyfall, about 1917 and about Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049 is one of the most beautifully shot movies I have seen ever. It's an incredible movie. And Deacon's fingerprints are all over that entire movie. It's incredible. And so more people need to know who this guy is and hopefully his knighthood will, will lead to that. Okay. So we've got, uh, I just want to hit on a couple of, uh, a couple of other little movie notes before we dive into Wonder Woman. Um, the Resident Evil prequel has finished filming. So the Resident Evil movies will get another installment. It's going to be in theaters next year, and it has finished installing. So this is going to be um, a movie that kind of talks about Raccoon City and about how all of this began. Uh, Rob, what do you think about the, the kind of the Resident Evil series? And um, is there still more material there? I think as the series went on, it got a little more and more fantastical and out there, uh, especially compared to some of the source material that you went beyond that but when you're talking about the games themselves. Um, but it did have Mila Jovovich in, in them, which was like an actual drawing power when it came to Star. Um, I'm not so sure with the casting of this movie how that's going to go, but it's also uh, like a year away. So some of these actors and actresses might become more well-known in that span. You never, you never really know. Sometimes that happens with a movie that it's mm -hmm. coming out in a year or two and you're like, who are these people? And then by the time it comes out, you're like, oh yeah, I know who this person is. Classic example um, being Matt Damon in uh, Saving Private Ryan. He was cast yeah. as an unknown actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that guy, what a scrub. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that there is something in the in that material when it comes to basically the director said she's focusing on the story from the first two games, which is kind of like a survival horror, just scared, unknowing what's actually happening because it's all just starting. Uh, I think that's a place where you can draw a lot of inspiration from. So we'll see where they go with it. Like I said, I think the biggest drawback is the name recognition of the people who are in it. Um, I guess they're banking on the name recognition of Resident Evil being what gets people to want to show up uh, or stream it. However, it ends up being distributed. Yeah. So I guess we'll see how it fares. You know, I'm, 
I would say that the odds that it is some kind of blockbuster would be incredibly low. Uh, but I, I think it could still be a quality movie. So we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, I think this is an example of another series that kind of ran out of steam. And it's also an example of movies where they didn't name them in some sort of way that obviously indicates their order. And I always get confused about which movie is when and in what order. And so I think, I think just, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, so I think maybe that there's not a whole lot left in this, but I could be wrong. All right. So the next one, the next one that announced is we talked about this uh, a number of weeks ago was the Furiosa movie, the prequel to Mad Max Fury Road uh, from George Miller starring uh, Anya Joy, what's uh, Anya, Joy? Anya Taylor, Taylor Joy. Joy? Anya Taylor Joy uh, has an actual release date. It will be coming out June twenty third, twenty twenty three. So you get a good long while to wait for that one. Uh, but it's interesting now that it's it's on the docket, it's on the schedule. They've got all the casting in place, and so this looks to be a go. So I'm curious as to see what they're gonna what they're gonna do with this one. <clears throat> Yeah, I think George Miller has proven that uh, he knows how to squeeze every last bit of life out of this franchise. Uh, I think the question for me surrounding this one, I, I'm, I'm the pessimist today apparently, but uh, the questions around this for me are, like you said, how far away it still is. Like in 2023, are people still going to be clamoring for a movie about a like, side character in the last Mad Max movie? I mean, yeah. she was like the main... In, in, in a lot of reality, Charlie's Theron's character was the main character, but the movie was not called Furioso, it was called Mad Max, so everyone is focused on Tom Hardy's portrayal of that character. Not having either one of them in this movie uh, leads you to wonder how much drawing power the name itself has. Also, the fact that it's not going to be called Mad Max, will the general public actually realize what it is if they don't see a lot of advertising for it? Yeah. Which, you know, you know, not to put everyone down and call them simple-minded or anything, but I think there is that danger that a lot of people might not understand that it's actually tied to the Mad Max series because it, it might not be explicitly on everybody's minds. Yeah, my big question is, is he going to go with a similar style of cinematography? Um, I think it was so unique what he did with the, the overdrawn-out colors um, from Mad Max Fury Road that I wonder if he's going to continue that same pattern so that it gives some sort of um, kind of a visual cue that this is part of the same universe. But we'll see. We'll see what happens, but he's got a lot of time to prove. All right, Rob, are you ready to start getting into the specifics on Wonder Woman? Let's put on our golden wingsuit and fly kind to of. the Wonder Woman breakdown. Kind of fly. Sort of. <laughs> More like float down from the sky. When we're not riding lightning bolts. Magically. Right. So, but before we get into any, any specific <laughs> breakdown, uh, some numbers have come out. Um, one of the, the curiosities about this is, you know, what kind of, with, with the dual release between streaming and theaters, what would this do for the streaming content? What would this mean for movie theaters? And so there are some initial numbers out. So, uh, HBO Max actually saw an increase, an estimated 554,000 users signed up for HBO Max between December 25th 
which is the day the movie came out, and December 27th. So over that three-day period, they have 500,000, over 500,000 people sign up for the service. That seems like a really good number. Um, and HBO uh, Max has, it's only a U.S. release as opposed to Disney Plus, um, which we can mention that uh, Soul came out and had really good numbers for Disney Plus. Um, but over half over half of the people subscribed to HBO Max watched the movie. So it was clearly a big hit among the HBO Max crowd. And with 500,000 signups, that seems to be an indicator that uh, it was quite successful for HBO Max. Now, it did also release in theaters, in which case it actually did a reasonable $16.7 million in theaters, considering the fact that Regal is shut down in several states like unfortunately, like the one we're in, Pennsylvania, where movie theaters are still mm -hmm. shut down. Um, that seems to be a pretty reasonable number. It's also done 85 million overall um, worldwide. So Rob, what do, you make of, uh, what do you make of the numbers and the initial debut for Wonder Woman? I'm not surprised that there was a very decent... Uh, uh, migration from people to the HBO Max service for this release in particular. I think that it being the first major blockbuster coming this way. Uh, I mean, you had Mulan, but I don't put Mulan in the same category as this. Also, this was included in the subscription price. So people didn't have to pay an extra amount of money on top of just for the subscription. Um, I think there are probably a lot of people who watch the movie who might not necessarily have gone to the theater and paid the price for movie ticket to watch the movie. Um, I think one of the benefits of having the ability to stream it is that you can have four or five people watching the movie altogether and you're only paying that subscription price instead of paying 15, 20, whatever you're paying per person to go see a movie. Um, obviously that's gonna hurt the overall revenue of a movie, but uh, it's certainly more accessible way for people to come to it and I think you have uh, more people who even people who might not necessarily be super interested in DC or superhero movies in general who might just check it out just because they can yeah. <laughs> if they already signed up to the service for some other reason um, like if they're just a friends fan or they just love Doctor Who and that's why they have HBO Max they might just check out Wonder Woman because why not um, so yeah I think I think it's uh so it's interesting. I don't know how much we can really conclude from the numbers that have come out so far, but there was certainly a real interest in the material and yeah. a lot of people have yeah. accessed it. So we'll see, I guess, I'm not sure how uh, they'll come to a final reckoning on how successful the movie actually was. Uh, but I guess we'll find that out in the coming months. Yeah. And I think the thing that's going to, that's going to be interesting is you got people to sign up with for wonder woman 84, but how many movies are you going to be able to rely on that happening? Like at some point, everyone who wants, it's going to have it. At which case all the movies that come out after that, you're not getting, I don't know how much more draw you're going to get. Like at some point your market share starts becoming smaller and smaller. Like the amount of people you can actually still sign up become smaller and smaller. And then the movies that debut after that, you're not getting a big, you're not getting a big bump out of. So I don't know. We'll see. But um, I think it's good numbers. 
Um, one of the things along with that is it was announced that there will be a Wonder Woman 3. It will also be directed by uh, Patty Jenkins and will star Gal Gadot. So that was announced along with some of the numbers this week. So the, the trio of Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot, and Patty Jenkins will continue going forward. So not really that big of a surprise um, that, uh, that they're going in that direction. All right. So shall we get into the movie itself, Rob? We shall. All right. So before, before I just want to lay out for the, for the listeners how we're going to do this. We'll talk about our initial thoughts and opinions of it without giving away spoilers. So if you just want to get our basic take uh, of what we thought of the movie without, uh, without any spoilers or any specific content, uh, we're going to start out with that. And we'll, then we'll give you a spoiler warning when we start getting into the specifics about the movie. Um, and then you'll be able to see in the, in the notes of the show how far you got to skip ahead if you don't want to catch the spoilers. All right, so let's talk about it. Wonder Woman 84. Initial thoughts, initial impressions, what was your reaction? Uh, well, I was incredibly underwhelmed, <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah. Um, I, I had said, and we haven't talked about this yet, so I don't, I don't know what your yeah. opinion on the movie is yet. But uh, I, I had said the last podcast, I think, when we talked about what do you think the movie's going to be like? And I, I had been like kind of nervous or hesitant because I just watching the trailers, I didn't see like, I didn't, I didn't see a great movie in what had come out so far. I saw a movie that might be pretty good, but I didn't see anything like mind blowing or anything amazing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I was right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, uh, I find it I find it very interesting that they've already announced that there's going to be a third movie with the same director um, because I I don't think that and I, I'm not sure who's responsible actually for the writing so I I can't blame it all on the director but uh, to me the writing of the movie was really bad and I thought that um, Gal Gadot was not as good in this as she was in the first one which is also a little bit worrying because she was really um, kind of I think in this one she was called to carry it more from an acting side than in the first one and I don't think she did very well and so I I'm worried for them that they are seeing like the success that it's having on streaming and not taking into account some of the things that I had said as mitigating factors like some people might be watching it just to watch it or some people you know might be watching it instead of having to pay the full price for a movie theater because what I from what I saw, I feel like this is going to turn a decent amount of people off from wanting to see a third one, and that's that's really harsh <laughs> for an opening assessment. But that's just how I feel about it after having watched it. Yeah, if I if I were to describe it in a word, I would say it's a mess. It's a bit of a mess. Um, there was a lot left to be desired in this movie. There was a lot of questions that they created that they didn't answer. There's, there was not, it's pretty clear that they did not have a good plan as to what they were doing and where they were going with it. And 
And I agree that the writing, I think the writing was probably the worst part, the directing, the second worst part. And nothing about this was anywhere close to the level of the first one, which I want to come back to at the end when we start talking about what this means for the, for DC going forward. Um, but yeah, this was a far inferior film to the first Wonder Woman. And there's just no way around it. And I, like you said, I don't know if they're going to get the right kind of feedback that I don't know how they're going to assess feedback on movies under the current environment, but it is, yeah, it's, it's troubling because I thought that Wonder Woman had the potential to really be the signature character uh, for DC going forward. I thought there was so much potential in what they had with Gal Gadot and, um, and, and the Wonder Woman franchise, but eh, I don't know. I don't know. So I would say, I mean, is it worth what it's a worth checking out worth watching? Sure. I mean, it's not, it's not the worst movie in the world by any stretch of the imagination. It has entertaining moments. Um, but do not expect to be very impressed with it. It's funny. Cause I, I, I like after the, after I was done watching the movie, I was like, I don't feel like this is as good as the first one. And then, in the back of my mind, I started wondering, like, was the first one as good as I thought? <laughs> like, do I miss, do I misremember this? Like, was it really not that good? Um, so I went back and watched the first one, like the next day. And I was like, this is so much better than what I just saw. Why, why didn't they make another movie like this? I have a theory about this that I want to come back to at the end. So I look forward to it. Yes. Um, yeah, this is one of those situations where afterwards I was like, eh, that was okay. And then the more I thought about it, the worse the, worse the film kept becoming in my mind. The more I broke it down, the more I thought about it, the worse it got. Like, it's like the reverse tenant. Like, the more I think about it, the more I watch yeah. it, the better it gets. This is like, the more I think about it, the worse the movie gets. Because <laughs> I just keep finding more and more stuff that I'm like, what? Why? How? For me, it's... For me, it's uh, having initial thoughts and then going on to uh, going on to the movies subreddit um, on Reddit and uh, seeing like everyone else having the same thoughts. Yeah. Like just kind of amplifying them in my mind and make me realize, no, I'm not crazy or the only one thinking <laughs> this stuff. Like it just makes it way worse because I'm like, oh man, like thousands of people feel the same way about this movie as I do. That's not good. Yeah. All right, so let's let's start, let's get into let's get into the breakdown here. So uh, this is your official spoiler alert. We are now going to start talking about actual specifics from this movie. So if you do not want to know any spoilers about Wonder Woman eighty four before you watch it, then skip over this to the next part of the podcast. Now you have been warned. Let's get into it. All right, Rob. Let's start out. Let's start out on a positive note. Where it, with it were there specific things you liked about the movie well i think the one thing that i really liked about the movie um and it's kind of funny because i liked it but it points out like a big problem with the movie itself there's no like straight just i like this and it had no impact on the rest of the movie <laughs> for this movie um i thought uh pedro pascal did a very good job as the character 
he was uh, portraying like the televangelist, big businessman, kind of over the top 80s, like tycoon guy. But the mm-hmm. problem with that is that it didn't like it didn't match with anything else going on in the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like he was playing this character completely over the top and it was like really well done. But none of the rest of the movie was built up around that feeling. So it felt like he was overacting sometimes. Yeah. But I don't like I think he was doing what they asked him to do. Mm -hmm. So I think he did a really good job. But uh, with the setting and surrounding that he was in, it made it seem like it was too much at times because nobody else was matching his level. Which if you're going to have someone like if you're going to have uh, uh, one, one I can think of that was this way, but fit with everything else going around it. If you think about Jack Nicholson's uh, portrayal of the Joker, like he's completely over the top in like this terrifying cartoonish guy, yeah. but everything else around him matches it. So yeah. it makes sense. It's coherent. Um, yeah. Pedro Pascal's character is the same way, but like everything else around him is kind of just like, oh, we're just living a normal life. Like he's this crazy outlandish cartoon villain and everyone else is kind of in reality. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I'm not really sure what, what they were going for with that. And like, it's a bummer because I feel like I can't even praise a part of the movie without um, (laughs) pointing out something negative. But I, I think that he did a good job. And it's funny because as I was watching it, I think I had the op with this is the one thing part of the movie probably where it did get better the more I thought about it because as I was watching it I was kind of like well this is a bit much but then like when the movie was over I was like yeah that's what he was supposed to do yeah (laughs) so he did it really well just nothing else in the rest of the movie made it make sense Mm -hmm. yeah so that's pretty much it for me there's not um I have a whole bunch more on the stuff I didn't like. <laughs> yeah, it's a much bigger section of the review here. <laughs> um, so I will say, I would say, basically, if I'm going to point at a couple things that I liked, um, I I do still think that Gagado and um, Chris Pine have good chemistry. Like I think they're good together, and I think you care about their relationship because of the way the two of them act. So I think I think that piece of it's pretty good. Um, I do like the, they didn't hit on it very much and they didn't hit on it very well, but the, the idea of, um, in the beginning about her character, when they see her as a child learning a character lesson, and then that idea of that character lesson coming around and being one of the reasons that she's able to, uh, finally stand up and and make the right decision in the end. Um, I thought that that little element was, was pretty good. Um, I do also like with both um, Pedro Pascal and Kristen Wiig's character, the idea that, um, and this, this, is, this is true in a lot of movies and in life, but the idea is that when you're downtrodden and you allow it to turn to bitterness and resentment, um, the negative repercussions of that, I think they did a good job of bringing that out like the idea of, of, you know, how you handle being downtrodden is a big, is a big character moment and an indicator as to what you're going to do. And so when it goes bad, it goes bad. Um, so um, those are the couple things I thought were, were strong parts of the movie. Um, if some of them were slightly underdone or understated. All right. 
So let's let's get down to the disc to the dislikes and the problems. All right. So give me one problem. We'll go back and forth on this one. Give me give me one of your problems with the movie. <laughs> I've got a I've got a lot of problems with you people. Um, uh, <laughs> We're not that far from removed from Festivus, so <laughs> the area Gosh. of grievances can occur. Well. It's, it seems like a minor thing, but I think it really points out just to me how poor this movie, poorly this movie was written. Uh, the, the moment I think in the movie that made me go, what? Like the loudest in my head was when, uh, <laughs> when he was able to get into uh, a fighter jet from the 1980s and fly it like with no instruction whatsoever, just because he was a pilot in the 1920s. Like that's not how technology works. Yeah. (laughs) Like you wouldn't be able to just automatically know how to fly a spider jet. And then like the fact that they completely just lost over that and like, like they, like they didn't even acknowledge that this is a problem. They're just like, yeah, he's doing it. Yeah. And also the fact that that, Yeah, also the fact that that plane, like, would have fuel in it when it's a display aircraft. Like, the whole the whole sequence is just ridiculous. Yeah. And then then turning it invisible when the only thing she had previously turned invisible, according to her, was a coffee cup. Yeah. Again, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time. The whole time. The whole way to Egypt. Yeah, so that, that sequence, just by itself... Uh, that's my first problem and I think indicative of how I felt the writing for this movie went. So one of one, one, the first ones for me was one of the questions I wanted answered was why is this movie set in 1984? There is no explanation as to why this movie is set in 1984. And this along with so much else in the movie leads me to believe that they're just like, Hey, we went in on the eighties nostalgia and so they just created a bad caricature of the 1980s and it had no depth to it. Um, you could see this most clearly, I think in a couple of instances, one in which they do the obligatory eighties mall scene at the beginning of the movie. And I think it was supposed to kind of harken back to the Bill and Ted excellent adventure mall scene. Only it just didn't like, it just wasn't, it wasn't good enough. Like it was a bad character. And I think pointing to what you were saying, like they're the bad guy, eighties tycoon villain was so over the top. It felt like a caricature. Um, the, the politicians in the eighties, like their, their politicians thing felt like bad caricatures. Their like Middle East conflict felt like a bad caricature. Like it just seemed like there's like, Hey, eighties, here's some things we think about the eighties just from doing very little research on the 1980s. And so I was just like, hey, here's, here's a film set in 1984 for no reason at all. Yeah, it's like, give them some credit. Uh, in the credits, the president is only credited as president of the United States. He's not actually credited as being Ronald Reagan. Yeah. But if that was supposed to be Ronald Reagan, it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because there was nothing about how that actor was portrayed that said anything 
about Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, so it's like either – so are you just going for, hey, here's some general 80s? Like, okay. <laughs> All right, what, what, what else you got? I did like when they looked at the trash can and he was like admiring it like it was art. And she said, no, yeah. it's just trash. Yeah, that, that, that was one. probably the funniest, best line in the entire movie right there. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, it's just, oh, it's just trash. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I felt like this is, this is more of a broader thing that I felt like the main conflict in the movie around this concept of, wishing for something and then having something taken away from you it's just so easily broken down and picked apart because like just for a couple instances like what if 30 people from the same country all wish they could be the king of their country yeah like what happens then who who wins yeah <laughs> because according to the like story behind the action you get whatever you ask for like, secondly, would no one ask for this, like, megalomaniac to be stopped? Or for, like, would no one ask for the world to end? Like, would the world not just explode? Like, someone who was really de- sad and depressed? And to think that, like, I, it's this is unclear, like, if... And they did a really bad job of explaining it, because they didn't explain it. If he's the one who renounces his wish, does that renounce everyone's wish? Or does every single person have to do it? Yeah, because if every single person has to do it, it's never going to happen. Because the person who asked for their mom's cancer to be taken away is not going to take their wish back. Yeah, and be like, "Sorry, mom, you're going to die next week." Now, I'll take the wish back. Yeah, um, and kind of hinted at both. We kind of give you yeah. indications of both. And the motivation for the rival character, it it's so outbalanced by, in my opinion. Uh, Diana's choice because Diana's choice is uh, keep the man who I love and had taken away from me alive versus the like our tribal's motivation is basically um, I just want to stay pretty and for people to like me yeah and that's like that's not a world ending motivation so I thought the stakes were like incredibly unbalanced and just the whole mechanism of the end of the world concept was poorly thought out because I, it wasn't thought out. <laughs> not not <laughs> so mention, easy to tear apart. Yeah, not to mention how like hokey that whole wishing stone was. Like it just shows up. You have no idea of where it came from or no idea why it was there. You get random mention of oh, some random god might have made it like halfway through the movie, and it just it's just there. It's just there for no reason at all. I mean, the whole concept is just so hokey. So, yeah. I, I think that I think that you you mentioned as a positive, and I do think it is a positive that there is some good message from this movie about never giving up and about not taking shortcuts and about doing the right thing. Um, and it's drawn from that opening sequence. But the problem. I have with the opening sequence is that it completely goes against what happened in the first movie. Yeah. Because in the first movie, they tell her she's not allowed to train. And when she's found training as a teenager, her mom yells at her aunt. 
Yeah. So did her mom just ignore that for this? Like, <laughs> is she allowed to just participate in this just for fun, just for once, you know? Yeah. Um, because to me, uh, having the movie start out that way seems like the person who wrote it didn't even like watch the first movie yeah. because it completely takes away what was a huge part of the story of the first movie. Not to mention, can we talk about the scale? Like in the first movie, you get a few dozen Amazon warriors in the opening sequence of this one. You've got an entire stadium full. <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? How is there now like an entire stadium full of these Amazon warriors? Like, they must be visiting from the hidden island next door. Yeah. I mean, my <laughs> goodness. So my next, my next complaint, my next complaint about this is, is the character of Diana really just spending 70 years pining for Chris Pine? <laughs> <laughs> Chris Pining. Yes. I mean, really, like 70 years. I mean, that, that seems outlandish. Like, yeah, like, I understand. Did this, did this person? What were you saying? Yeah, did this person just spend, like sit around this whole time and not experience a single ounce of joy in the rest of their life? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, are we really? I mean, that's half of her plot line for this movie is the fact that she missed Steve so badly and wanted him back, and then has to give him up. But we're talking about a seventy-year time gap. I mean, that's just not realistic. It's not realistic. I mean, sure, she, he, he will always be a part of her life and a part of her story. But that is really, I mean, that's really selling her short that she's just going to sit at home pining for this guy for 70 years in between and doing nothing and having no joy and no fun. Like, I, I just, it's not realistic in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, the one, the one thing I said as I was watching was, so if she... He's somebody who doesn't age. You would think she'd have to change jobs like every 15 or 20 years because people are going to pick up on that. So why couldn't we have like a sequence at the beginning of the movie that showed like little snippets of like what she's been doing this whole time? Yeah. Because I think that might help fill in like where that motivation, that emotion comes from, like maybe show her having some bad experiences, trying to love other people. Um, give us some kind of depth to it instead of uh, she's just the big sad still, yeah. you know, after he died in, in an explosion 70 years ago. And I think it just goes, um, that, that goat kind of folds into maybe my biggest problem with the movie, which is just that I think that Gal Gadot just wasn't very good. Hmm. And that was probably the most disappointing thing to me because I thought she was quite good in the first one. And it seems like being asked to carry more of uh, an emotional and leading load in this movie was too much for her to uh, do well. And I'm kind of surprised by that. So that's probably why it's the most disappointing thing to me about the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see that it's, I think part of my, part of my, I mean, I think you're right. I don't think you're wrong. Part of me is, is trying to, like, if I were to assess blame for that, I'm not sure how much of it falls on the writing and on the director. Um, because I find so many problems with the story itself. Part of me wonders, and with the directing, part of me wonders if, if that is a bigger factor 
and her performance. Um, but you're right. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't up to, to what I expected from her. I think that's kind of like uh, parallel to um, the star Wars prequels, because I, I don't think that the actors who were in them were as bad as they come across in the movies. And I do think a lot of that has to do with how it was written and how it was directed. So, you know, they're all, they're all part of making a, a movie that's good. It's not yeah. all on just one person. Yeah. So for me, the next one is um, we have to talk about the fact that they had, they gave absolutely zero explanation for why Steve comes back in some random dude's body. Yeah. <laughs> like no explanation. Why does, why is that a more plausible thing than just the normal Steve coming back? I mean, if he gets his wish grant, if she gets her wish granted, why is he in someone else's body? And yeah. they spend literally zero time even asking the question of why am I in some other dude's body? Like yeah, they have him look at it and they tell you that he's in some other dude's body, but they just all accept it and move on. Like that's perfectly normal thing to happen. Yes. She's perfectly fine with just being with this guy. Uh, minutes after finding out that it's actually him in the body. Um, it's, it's kind of disturbing. Uh, and, the fact that his character in the first one is like a spy. So his death would not have made like this giant news all over the world that everyone would know what he looks like and everyone would know what he did. So his appearing in her time when nobody would turn their head and be like, Oh my gosh, he's back. Cause no one would know who he is. So why, why did they have to use this mechanism? It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and why this guy? Like, it's just a random dude who shows up. Like, he doesn't appear anywhere else in the movie. Just a guy walks in, and it's now Steve. And there's no reason as to why him, why this particular guy. And then on top of that, at the end of the movie, the actual guy, freed of Steve's consciousness, shows up and talks to her. And you're like, well, what is that? Like, like he, he doesn't remember, clearly. Why is he here? <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> understand. This makes no sense. Yeah, as you can tell, there's uh, a lot of this movie that's very confusing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, a my, minor detail, I guess it doesn't need to be explained, but it would have been helpful, is why, why is the Latin American bad guy's son like 100% Asian? <laughs> Like, there's no explanation given at all for that. It's just kind of, here's yeah. my son. Yeah. He looks nothing like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like, like a big thing in this, in what should be a big thing in this guy's character and the son's character is the fact that his mother is not around. And that's yeah. not explained whatsoever. Yeah. It's kind of like, like, it's your weekend. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, what's this kid doing the rest of his life? <laughs> yeah, yeah there, like there's so much more depth they could have provided for the character to give us a little more um, emotional weight to make us actually care. Mm -hmm. And they, they didn't do it. And I, I just think there's a whole lot of things in this movie they just didn't do. And it feels like it's not, it's not done. It's not a finished product. Yeah. And uh, even the special effects are underwhelming, which you would think for a movie with the kind of budget they had in the spaces in that that would be the one thing that would be like almost unassailable. 
but um like there's a lot of it that's like really that's what they decided to go with like with the with uh barbara's portrayal of the the cat person like it just seemed really like like half baked and, and not finished as far as special effects go like the whole uh wingsuit golden wingsuit moment which should have been really awesome was just kind of like oh so they literally just put that in there so she could put the wings up one time yeah cool <laughs> and it seemed more like the whole that whole wingsuit thing was merely to introduce the fact that they want to bring back this other character. I mean, also like I've I've seen some people who are more cynical than I am, but who might have might have a point. They're like, yeah, the wingsuit thing was put in so they could sell toys with the wingsuit. And you know, it's hard for me to argue with them about that because it really didn't do much. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said earlier, I'm just not sure where they go. Yeah. From here because I, I just don't know what what you do now yeah so and that that kind of good segue into where does this leave the dceu um and i think i'll get into let me i'll get into my theory here right now if we look at the dc movies since the end of the christopher nolan era what we see is what are the three best movies that they've produced in that time they are man of steel Wonder Woman, and Aquaman. What do all three have in common? They are all origin stories for their characters. It seems like the crew they have working and doing the writing are doing a very good job of writing origin stories for their characters. The moment they have to leave the realm of their origin story, they have zero idea what to do with any of these characters. And that's why every single one of the other movies are an absolute mess. And I think this is what their problem is. They have no direction whatsoever. So the only thing they're capable of producing is a good origin story. And, and I don't think we've seen anything close to something that's, that's something you can move forward with. Yeah, I, I uh, it's funny because the like the, to me the best DC movie recently is isn't even part of this like cartoon superhero arc, and it's the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, and that's just a completely different animal. Yeah, and uh, we're going to be starting out uh, coming up like two different versions of Batman are coming out at the same like relatively same time. Yeah, so it's, it's almost like they have no idea what they're doing, which. I don't think it's almost like that. I think it is that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very, like, it's very clear, like, Marvel just runs circles around DC when it comes to storytelling because they had a plan. And I think that's a very impressive thing because I don't think when the first movie came out, they necessarily had a plan because when the first movie came out, there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of questions around it. People didn't think Robert Downey Jr. was capable to be a main star. A lot of people didn't think that. A lot of people thought no one was going to be interested in Iron Man. And yet they took that and built a 10-year plus long story out of it. And it seems that every single DC movie has kind of just done their own thing. And it it's not like coherent is a word I really like when it comes to trying to get a whole bunch of things together, whether it be like a sports team trying to progress down the field, you want 
everything you're doing to be coherent. You want it to make sense. You want people to know where they're supposed to be, like where they're going to be going, what's going to happen. And you want the same thing with what's supposed to be a giant, like franchise and universe. And it just doesn't seem that way with the live action ones. I mean, um, their cartoon universe has been pretty decent, uh, but people like the general public aren't invested in or even know about a lot of that stuff. So their, their only engagement is like Suicide Squad, which is going to be like brand new again after the first one was underwhelming. So like at what point do like, are, are people still going to care? Yeah. Like I really, yeah. I really don't know what you do with the third Wonder Woman movie because I don't know if people are really going to care about it. Yeah. I think a lot less people are going to care about it than we're excited about this, which yeah. is unfortunate. Yeah. And I think it, there was some hope after Aquaman and there was some hope that they were, that they produced a couple of decent movies recently that they'd be able to, that they'd be able to get their act together and actually move in a positive direction. Unfortunately, I think ultimately Wonder Woman 84 dispels the notion that they know what they're doing. So all right. I think we've got to put it to bed and move on. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by eating ice cream when you're depressed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's not spend a ton of time on our watch list this week, but uh, let's go through some of the stuff that we were, we were watching. So I'll start out with the fact that uh, I watched a bunch of movies this week and uh, and I know you have you have as well since we last took off. Um, I finished the John Wick series. Uh, my favorite thing about the John Wick series is the fact that it's literally one continuous story. There's no time break. You know, the movies pick up one right after the other and go straight through. So it's like telling one giant story over three movies. And it's pretty coherent. So I like that. Um, watched Just My Luck with my wife, which is also a Christopher Pine movie involving luck as one of and wishes as one of the uh, <laughs> the key things. Only this one was better. Um, watched Tenet again because I got it on 4K Blu-ray and Home Alone 2, and I finished up the the original trilogy of the Bourne series, which is always fun to watch. Uh, nice. Rob, what what'd you get into? Uh, as I said earlier, I watched the original Wonder Woman and was very impressed by it again. I was kind of, like I said, going back to it, I was wondering, is this as good as I remember? Because this new one is really not good, and I'm worried that the first one wasn't as good as I thought. But it was as good as I thought. Uh, well written. I thought the story was great. The reveal at the end is good. Um, the special effects are impressive. Like, it's just a really well done movie and I'm really surprised that well, 1984 really surprised um, in a bad way. Um, I also watched soul, uh, which came out on Disney plus uh, starring Jamie Foxx. This is the main cartoon character who uh, gets, uh, gets the break of his life uh, as a musician, a performing musician, jazz piano player and proceeds to like die and well not die, but, have a near-death experience instantly and gets transported into this alternate realm where he's just a soul and uh, some really interesting thoughts in there and some really deep uh, kind of moments about our fate and what life means and death means and uh, the best part of the entire movie for me 
is when he first appears in, he appears in the area where they're training new souls before they go to earth and be joined to the body. And he's not sure where he is. So he's like, is this like up there? And the person's like, no. And he goes, is it H-E double hockey sticks? And there's a bunch of soul, little new souls around him. And they all start going, hell, 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 hell. Like, <laughs> and just saying it over and over and over again for like a solid minute. Even as they're walking away, they're just like, hell, hell, hell. <laughs> just like the idea of uh, in being an impression on, on the new soul. And obviously, uh, you know, uh, this is is not a uh, Christianity podcast, so we have certain beliefs about like souls and how they operate. So to see kind of a different take on things is is interesting and informative. Um, I also watched uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, which I've seen many times, and I highly recommend if you have not seen it. I would say that it is one of the most impressive stop motion animation movies that I have seen. Um, it's by Leica Studios, so the studio that did Coraline, um, among others, and really really good movie with a great story uh some really some really terrifying moments honestly for what's a, a kid a kid's movie kind of but i would say that's not kind of so <laughs> i would just recommend it's well done uh well voice acted uh very well directed and animated and the amount of work and effort they put into this thing is stunning because you see one scene at the end where they're working on one of the main pieces, which is this giant skeleton. And they're like moving it like just a little bit at a time. And then they show a time lapse where it's like the whole scene. And they must have like adjusted this thing like tens of thousands of times to get 15 seconds of video. And it's just incredible the undertaking that something like that is. Um, the best The best line in that movie, spoiler alert, is... Uh, when they're fighting the skeleton thing, the one character who is uh, actually uh, an insect, uh, an anthropomorphic insect for some reason, he points at the skeleton and then he goes, I got a bone to pick with you. And he looks at the other characters and he goes, get it? Because he's made out of bones. <laughs> Which is a line me and my brothers would absolutely say to each other. So that's why I love it so much. Uh, but I highly recommend that. Matthew McConaughey is that disturbing bug-like character and he's hilarious in the role and uh Hubo and the two strings if you have not seen it i recommend it very much probably one of my favorite animated movies ever okay. so that's what i watched today. all right so for this week coming up i am planning on watching netflix movie the wandering earth um and i believe you are as well um so looking forward to a sci-fi good sci-fi movie. And then I'm going to take a tour through a couple of my favorite Roger Deakins cinematography movies, which talked about 1917 and Blade Runner 2049. It's been a little bit since I've seen him and I just got 1917 on Blu-ray. So I am intended on watching those. What are you watching? You froze there for a second. Is it my turn? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, Wandering Earth is uh, one I'm going to check out as well. I actually just saw an article about it today. Um, I hadn't really heard about it before. So um, uh, the article said, like, this is a good uh, good example of a sci-fi movie that kind of makes sense with the times that we're in. So I'm excited to check that out. Um, I'm also going to be watching 
Uh, I've had my eye on this for a little while, but haven't watched any of them yet. On Amazon Prime, they have a series, Welcome to the Blumhouse, which is uh, Blumhouse Productions, the studio that's known for their horror uh, thriller genre. Has uh, They have a set of movies, and they're releasing them four at a time. They've got four out now. There are four more coming out next year. But the idea is that all of the movies take place in the same house. Mm. And I just, I think it's really fascinating. And the movie <laughs> series is called Welcome to the Blumhouse. Um, and the first four movies that are out now are called Nocturne, uh, Black Box, Evil Eye, and The Lie. Um, they're all out now on Amazon. And they all, each one takes place on one of the stories of the house. So I'm really interested to see like how they approach that, how it all ties together what kind of story they come up with that. Um, also not movie related, but something I'm going to watch is I have not seen a lot of the original Twilight Zone, which is probably like unacceptable. I probably should have by now, but um, sci-fi has a marathon of the Twilight Zone started at six o'clock this morning and is going until six o'clock Sunday morning. So I'm actually staying up all night and watching Twilight Zone because I feel like I need an education and it's literally nonstop Twilight Zone for the next two days okay so i'm gonna watch a lot of twilight zone and i hear that the writing and how it's shot and all that is really impressive so i'm i'm excited to check it out for myself and see what all the hullabaloo has been about for the last 70 years or so that i've missed out on okay all right well that is the show everyone thanks for checking us out uh make sure you rate subscribe and review and share the podcast with your friends and check out our youtube channel and filmforfans.com uh until next time enjoy the movies